Gabe, if you don't mind, just join me on stage. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stay in English. It's fine. So welcome, man. Thanks for coming all the way. So they drove from Porch like 3 o'clock um, the afternoon, not the morning. Okay. They crazy, crazy but not, not that crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, welcome, man. Something I appreciate about Gabe is whenever I spend time with him, um, no matter how long, no matter how short, there's always something I learn and I'm challenged to love Jesus better. No matter what setting, it can be a church setting or uh, like my brother's 30th birthday with a lot of children and, you know, we eat and we chill and whatever. And there's always something I learn from you. So I appreciate you. Um, yeah, there's a, a deepness that you have about your relationship with Jesus. Thank you for coming all the way. Thanks for the team joining us um, in Pretoria from the beautiful Northwest. Um, yeah, awesome stuff. I'm going to pray for Gabe. If you want, you can stretch out your hand. If you don't want, you pray in your heart. Yeah. Lord, thank you for Gabriel Jesus. Thank you for his life. Um, that shines a message of your goodness and your glory. Thank you for what you've done um, through him and, and keep on doing, Lord. I thank you for the team that came with. Father, I pray that you would bless them. May they, um, from tonight onwards, shine a brighter light, Lord. Love you deeper and experience your love deeper. We honor Gabe. Thank you for him. And um, thank you that you would bless his words, Lord, that it would change lives in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All yours. Thank you, buddy. Hello, Jelle. I verstaan nie kom praat in Engels nie. <laughs> I'm just joking. Thank you so much. Um, Jelle, my name is Gabriel. Gabriel, whatever works. Um, and it's such a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm so honored to be here. Um, I'm kind of like, this is kind of nostalgic a little bit. So let me tell you a fun story. Bernard and Emma are back here. They, they legitimately changed my life. Right? I was, I was on my way to a camp. All right, and I was driving in my then brand new um, golf sever that I then bought. I was still a, I still played a bit of rugby, and I was on my way to this camp smoking a joint in my golf sever, and um, I flicked the joint out of the golf sever. I said, "God, I need to go from Saul to Paul, or I'm going to die. Please help me." And I stopped at this Christfeer camp, and I got deeply touched. And Emma stood up and she called me out of the crowd and she said, "Hey." Young man, can you please stand up? God is about to destroy the foundations of your life. Not a very encouraging word in that part. But then she said this. She said, and when he puts it back together on that foundations, he will build something that's going to touch the nations of the earth. Right? And I would have never imagined that this month, 10 years later, right, I'm here. And we're involved in multiple nations all across the earth. And it started with the people that lead your church. So guys, thank you so much for your faithfulness. I mean it. Like sometimes we do things with young people and we don't always see the fruit. And I'm legitimately fruit of your guys' yes. It deeply impacted my life. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Everyone, buddy, all that lack, eh? That 30th, we had some really good conversation about church. It was beautiful. Um, and my team, you guys have seen them, met them. Um, they're awesome. Um, and we get to love Jesus um, the same way you guys get to do it. And we do a few other fun stuff with it. We just came back from a trip we did in 10 days. We went to 52 countries all across Africa. We felt we have this word about 
God wants to impact Africa and our generation. And then God asked us, well, are you serious about it? And we said, yes, Lord, of course we're serious about Africa. And it's like, well, show it to me. Don't just talk about it, show me. And then um, this idea came, hey, what about we go to every country in Africa? I know there's 54. We didn't get into two because of visas. Um, and let's go over a 10-day period and go have like between six and 12 hours just prayer burn in every nation in Africa and say, God, we say yes to your dream for Africa. And guys, some of the stuff we've experienced has been phenomenal. And I want to tell you right now, if you live in South Africa, right, we, I know like the news headlines is angry, right? But I'm telling you right now, like Africa is about to explode in a good way. If you go read about what's happening with population growth, the growth of GDP all over Africa, like God is doing something phenomenal. And it just takes us to have eyes to see to partner with God's dream. So I want to encourage you guys, right? Before I even share what I'm here tonight to share, you need to wage war against every voice that tells you escape is the answer from South Africa. Baie stemmetje wat vir jou sê, hey, om New Zealand toe te gaan, is Godse droom vir jou lewe. Mens noem dit upward mobility. Dit is sekulare wereldsiening. En dit is nie noodwendig die Bijbelse plan. God put you here to be a part of the solution for our country. You have been put here to be a part of what He wants to do in changing this nation. And I want to encourage you as young South Africans, everywhere I go and speak with young people, I say, you need to wage war on every thought that tells you escape is the answer. And we need to take responsibility for where we're at. Guys, I promise you, the enemy has a field day because he just has us blame everybody else and nobody takes responsibility where we're at. Right? And Nehemiah, he just told everybody, build the wall in front of your house. Don't forget about their house. Just build what's right in front of you. And if you're a teacher, you have like 30 kids in a classroom. Build there. If you're a businessman, you have 50 people working for you. Build there. If you're a mom, you have two kids. Build there. If you're a student, you have some academics, build there. If each one of us just takes a little bit of responsibility in each one of these places and stop blaming other people, guys, I promise you our country will look different. It doesn't take a lot. It takes a lot of individuals making small changes. It changes big things. Okay, so that's enough of that. Um, I have the joy to share with you guys a little bit tonight um, out of the scriptures, something that I just felt... That's important. I want you to turn in your Bibles or your phone, whatever works for you. I'm not religious about which one you pick. Um, to 1 Corinthians 9. And um, as jy Afrikaner die binnenkant is, een van ons grootste, ek denk, so strongholds oor ons kultuur, is twee goed. This is kind of moderation and dignity. Okay, so ons, ons Afrikaners in algemeen, let nooit uit beheerheid lyk nie. Okay, if you, if you look out of control, it's borderline like an insult. Right, I always prim and proper like nekies. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but what happens is when it becomes an unspoken culture, right, that we see dignity or we see a measure of moderation as a sign of godliness. What happens is we we make phrases like this: "Beproof alles en bou die goeie," which means touch everything a little bit, but don't give yourself too much to anything. And I feel like over our culture, one of the greatest things I've seen with working with thousands of young people is like there is such a desire om eight your dop uit te There's such a desire to break free from the prison of moderation, but there is never really an understanding of, hey, what does the Bible require when it comes to this? 
Like, does the Bible even tell us how much we can love Jesus? Right? I think that, that's a great question, right? How much am I allowed to love Him? Wanneer is te veel te veel? When have I loved God so much that now God tells me, hey, Gabe, you're a little bit too intense right now. The zeal that burns in your heart for me, you need to calm it down a bit. You're making your friend uncomfortable. Right? Where is, is there that mark? And, and, or if it's not there, how much invitation publicly is there to be utterly obsessed with Jesus? And I'm telling you guys right now, the Bible gives us some really good answers about how much of ourselves we're allowed to give to God. And tonight, I feel like a part of what the Lord wants to break open is a little bit of freedom, open up a little bit of a cage to go like, you're made to run wholeheartedly after Jesus. Some of the most foolish things people ever say is, oh, you're in honeymoon phase of Jesus. Well, what does that even mean? Right? Like me and my wife have known each other 10 years. We've been married for seven and we have a beautiful little daughter. And I'm telling you right now, I love her way more now than I did when I met her. You know, like hormones doesn't mean love. Infatuation is your hormones. Right? That doesn't mean I deeply love her. But as I get to know her, my love for her grows. My zeal to date her grows. Like I buy her more flowers now than I did when we started dating. Right? Like I pursue my wife deeper. Why? Because when I grew in the knowledge of Michelle, I found more that I loved. So how then if we grow in the knowledge of the most perfect, most beautiful, most astonished being in the universe, we think as I get to know you better, I'm going to become more dull. Because that is a sign of maturity. That I don't get excited about the most perfect, beautiful being that's ever existed. Like, it's a contradiction, guys. Like, the more I get to know God, the more I want to know Him. Right? Like, there's sometimes this weird thing in the back of our heads where, like, I'm afraid when I look deep enough into who this God is, I'm going to find something to disappoint me. Like, you know you will never find things to disappoint you. You can climb in His heart and go look for all eternity, and you will never find something. You go like, uh-oh. Man, right? I think A.W. Tozer said this. He said, if you pick one attribute, let's say God's mercy, you take 50,000 years to study mercy, it will be like a swallow scratching at the face of Mount Everest. You'll never get to the end of it. Right? So now you tell me, I'm afraid I'm going to get bored. The greatest gift that happened to me when I got saved and if I come and visit again one day, I'll tell you my story. But the greatest gift that I got, I remember, like, I had this appetite my whole life, right? I always, like, when I, before I got saved, I, I drank the most, did the most drugs, always the most. Like, if somebody says you can use this much, I use double that amount, right? Like, I just had an appetite. God made me with an appetite. Some people mislabel it. They call it addictive, behavior, addictive personality. I'm not addictive to anything. I'm made in the image of Jesus. He doesn't have addictive things in him. He just made me with an appetite. And when I found God, one day in my quiet time, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me and say, Gabe, you know what? You have a fear in your heart. And I said, God, what's the fear? And he says, you have a fear that you're going to get to the end of me. The same way as you got to the end of alcohol. The same way as you got to the end of woman. Got to the end of drugs. Like you've spent it all and you didn't fix that itch. 
You know, like you can jump into the ocean of the knowledge of me, and you can take a billion years, you'll never get to the end. And remember that day, something in me broke. A hesitancy. A terugho, a bikkie van a, oh yes, I can not the hard hard clip what gebeur as ek teleergesteld word, and I see genoeg nie. And I'm here today to tell you, it's been a decade that I've been running as hard as I can. And I'm telling you right now, the longer I'm doing it, the more I'm like, I don't know anything. He's so much better than I thought. He's kinder than I thought. He's more merciful. Like every single time I thought I did something right, it was him bailing me out. I was actually not that good as I thought I was. So I want to encourage us today. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 9. This is Paul speaking, right? And he uses imagery that they would understand. Um, because the church in Corinth was where they held the Olympic Games. So he used the language of athletes to explain to these people how much of yourself you're allowed to give to God. Now I want to tell you, I play professional rugby. I remember when I was 16, I got, I was like the Grand, Grand Como um, in our province. I was the captain of the team. I got in like a top 40 team, like 40 people they pick and then they give you like all these cool stuff and it's an essay top 40 and then they told me I played eighth man. They said, hey, you're too small. I weighed like 82. I was as tall as I was now. I was actually a high jumper, believe it or not. And then they're like, hey, you have to gain like 20 kilograms. You're way too small. And so I took a series and I ate like 10,000 calories a day. And from 16 to about 19, I went from like 86 to about 106. And um, I remember like, it was so interesting. <laughs> I, I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and drink my protein shakes to not have my body become catabolic. Like, I was just, like, so freaking dialed. Like, I was, like, 10 o'clock, I had a alarm on my watch. I have to go eat. I literally would walk out of class in matric, take my kosplik and my broikies, and I my kosplik and my broikies, eat my protein shake, drink, and I'm going to go back into class. And people make fun of me, and I'll tell them, well, you can make fun of me. I'm going to make more money than your mom and dad combined in two years' time. So you can laugh at me now. I was very arrogant. And... Um, so age 19, I was about 106. Age 20, I was about 109. I think my max bench was like 200 kilograms. Back squat was 360, right? And I was just a machine. My job, I was paid to be a machine, right? And, um, and it was normal. And so one of the interesting thing that ha- things that happened is my coaches, our conditioning coaches, had all the skinny guys come and work out with me, right? It's not because I was a better coach than them. I just used to be skinny, I'm not anymore, right? And I learned a very interesting thing. A lot of guys think they want to be big. They like the idea of being big, right? But they're not willing to do the work that is required, right? They're willing to go to the gym. But you know what most guys don't want to do? They don't want to eat until they're nauseous. Because that's, if you're very skinny, you have to grow weight. You have to eat so much food to gain weight. Every guy here has gained weight will tell that is 100% true. It's actually pretty hard. And I realized that a lot of people like the idea of being big. All these rugby guys, like if, if five of them worked out with me to gain weight, two of them would do it. The other three would just go like, I'm not willing to pay the price. And so, so many times on our walk with Jesus, we go like, oh, like we want to be full out. We want to be radical. But we like the idea of that more than we actually like the lifestyle that is required to live like that. And I believe tonight there's something in that the Lord wants to unlock for us. So now you understand the context here. Verse 24 says, I'm going to read you a piece of scripture. I'm going to pack a few things. It says, 924, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that would last forever. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I love this piece of scripture. Because here Paul says, hey, let me tell you how much permission you have to be obsessed with God. I want you to look at the Olympic athlete and their dedication. And I want to tell you, they have not close to the amount of motivation you have. The amount of permission you have. Now, I've been a pro athlete. I know what it takes. I know the level of zeal, the level of like strong-willedness that it takes to live that way for years on end. Not for 10 minutes. Everybody can go to the gym for six weeks. Do it for six years. We'll see what happens. You change. Okay, you become something else. And he says, hey, look at these athletes. He says, here's the thing. In a runner, all the runners run. But only one gets the prize. So Paul is saying that to participate in the Christian walk, Everybody participates. And then he makes another statement. He says, but here's the thing. Run as if you want to win. Don't just run as if you're participating. Participation is not enough. Just coming to church is not enough. Just going to your small group is not enough. He says that there is more to this life in God than just participating in the race that everybody is running. He says, run as if you might obtain the prize. Now, it's very interesting that he uses that language because it's pretty confronting. He says, then he goes to the next point and goes like, you need to understand that all athletes go into strict training. In the ESV, it says they have self-discipline in all things. They have self-discipline in all things. They have self-discipline in all, I'm, I can't honor, okay? They have self-discipline in not some things, not the comfortable things. They have self-discipline in all things. And then it goes on and he says, and they do it that they might obtain a crown that is perishable. He says, but you do it to obtain that which cannot perish. So he goes like, you see the self-discipline that an Olympic athlete has. And they have that level of discipline for something that will disappear in a decade. You should have the self-discipline as one that receives something that would last forever. Our pursuit, our hunger, our drive to love Jesus. That comes from the revelation that forever, this 70 years will matter. The way that you run this 70 years, forever it will matter. In Matthew, Jesus says, I will remember even a cup of water you give to somebody. There's something that we need to understand that it does not just count to participate. The way that you participate matters. Now in a culture where moderation is celebrated as something good, it seems like Paul is saying you have to be as obsessed as an Olympic athlete. That is normal Christianity. The fact is if I would go around this room and I could look into each one of your souls, I could see what you're obsessed with. Because to be obsessed in that way is to be human. 
Why? To be human is to love. What you love the most, you worship. What you worship, you become. It's normal, right? Even atheists worship. They, they just won't call it that. Everybody worships because we're loving beings. We're made to love. And every single one of us loves something ultimately. And Paul's invitation is like, hey, this life we get to live. The level of discipline you have about the people you think is the most disciplined people in our world, they do all of that for something that does not matter. What I've called you to matters for all eternity. Now, one of the biggest lies ever been sold in my life is that I should just calm down. Is it rustig, bro? Stint eens. Sure. Sê voor sy troon staan en kyk in my brandende oor, dan gaan ons hoor wie sy dans. Seriously. Verewig, verdien en dans. Dat is iets in hierdie wat, ek wil rarig sê julle, dit is nie in die rollending, dat is iets in die kultuur van moet nie te veel uitstaan nie, moet nie te hard probeer nie, wat iets knak binnen mense hart, wat sy kom by Jesus lief he. Ek onthou ons een vriend gehad, ek gaan nie sy naam noem nie, en ons het hier die joke gemaakt, kom ons sê sy naam is Pietie, ons het hier gesê, Pietie is oversaved, ken jylle oversaved mense, vertel allemaal van Jesus, in die koffielijn, op pad om die koffie vertel in die middel van die winter, jy is moeg, jy moet gaan toetskryf, en hy chat oor Jesus, die altijd is bra, ek is so moeg, ek is ook lief vir my, ek hoef nie vir mense te wees nou nie, ok, het, het ken enig iemand oversaved mense, as jy nie doen nie, kry nie my vriende, ok, so seriously, soos, um, maar daar is iets rondom die honger wat iemand het, nee? en ek onthou hierdie ou, het ons heel die oor gejoke, Pietie oversaved, en omtrent drie jaar terug, amper tien jaar terug, amper, omtrent drie jaar terug, te sien ek om weer, in een rehab, dan was hy, Pietie, hoe die uit kom, gaan hy sê, ek weet, ek het nie die dag van my gehou, dat jy gesê, dat ek is oversaved nie, toe raak ek rustig, En toe hy rustig raak, toe raak hy weer sy ou self en hy participeit net en sy ou manier van leven druk om weer weg. En ek onthou, ek het weggeloop, ek het heil, ek veerig sê, Heere, ek sal nooit weer joke met iemand dat hulle stil die Jesus te intens nie. Want ons het iets geknak in die persoon dier die kultuur wat moderation celebrate instead of zeal. That's one thing, I lived in America for four years that I loved about America. If you're intense, they go like, you're not intense enough. If you dream big, you're like, oh, that's not a big dream. You could dream way bigger. There's, there's something about the culture that fosters a young budding flame that encourages like, groei meer, brand meer, go, go. And I, I, I want to encourage us and I feel like what God is wanting to speak is you have permission to be obsessed with Jesus. You have permission to go like, hey, my friends talk about like sports and stuff. I actually, I, I don't have a problem with sport. I just, I like Jesus a lot. Right, like I remember when I got saved, my father-in-law loves rugby. And um, he knew the, the CEO of a very, very big rugby franchise. And um, he invited me to come to a game there. And he's like, invited me to see. And I was like, oh, the CEO is like, oh, you played flank for this, for this team. And I said, yes. Says, oh, don't you want to come and like try out? We actually need your position. And I joked to the CEO, I was like, you don't have enough money. Right? And he's like, oh. and I was like, no, Max Adamstag, I believe I can't make it up, I can't make it up, I can't make it up. 
and, and we kind of made a joke then. Then became an awesome conversation. Where I talked to him about how much I love Jesus. I love sports. I don't think it's any. And we literally sat there for about 45 minutes and spoke about how Jesus is more important than anything else. But I feel tonight to encourage us to go like there is something more. And it's not to do with good works. You, you have heard, I've not told you what obsession looks like. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. Because each one of us would have to find in our life what does it look like to be obsessed with Jesus. If you tell somebody obsession looks like X, Y, Z, it becomes legalism. But I need to tell you that there is permission to so give yourself to Jesus that everything else looks small. Last point I want to make. Is you see in verse... 26 it says therefore I do not run like a man aimlessly I do not fight as one beating the air and the question we need to ask and the next logical question is if he does not run aimlessly what does he aim at if he does not box aimlessly what does he aim at when it comes to this and Paul explains to us earlier in 1 Corinthians what he aims at. I want to read us this. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. Now, I want, I want you to understand this. This is 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. It says, By the grace God has given me. By whose grace? God's grace. Right. So, there's a portion of grace that God gave to Paul. Right. Now, each one of us has been given a portion of grace. And then he goes on and he says, I now have laid a foundation as a master skilled builder. He didn't just build. He wasn't just a builder. He said that he also didn't just participate in the race. He was participating like a winner. He also didn't just build like building. He's building like a master skilled builder. He's saying that there is levels to your participation. And when I talk about levels, I talk about the grace assigned to your own life. I cannot tell you to live like I live. Do you know why? Because God didn't give you the grace he gave me. But... You alone will stand before God one day and know if you have ran the race that he has set before you and if you've built according to the grace that he gave you. No person can tell you if you've done it well except him. But the thing is, he has made you to fully do it that way. Now, when this piece of scripture goes on, he says the following. He says, For no one can lay the foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man builds on a foundation, foundation, foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straws, his work will be shown for what it is. Say for what it is. Okay, for what it is. So there's something about your work that will be revealed. He says, your work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to the light. Now, most of your Bibles, this is in verse 13, will make that day will be in a capital D. And that day means the day that Jesus returns when he judges all men. The day will show it for what it is. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test, listen to it, the quality of each man's work. Again, Paul is making a distinction to go like, you can work however you want, but God will test the quality of your work. You can run however you want, but run as one who wants to 
win the prize. It seems that Paul is saying that participation is not enough. Now, participation will get you in. You'll see it here. But we're not just loving God to just get into heaven. This is not fire insurance. This is a love relationship. And imagine I'm married to Michelle just to stay married. Right? That's just, in, everyone, this will say so, khati van yoni. Right? Love looks different because it matures and it grows. It goes on and it says, it will be real fire. If it is burned up, oh, sorry, verse 14 says, if what he has built survives, he will what? What is the goal of judgment here? If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. You need to understand that the reason why we run a specific way is not because God wants to disqualify you, it's because he wants to reward you. In the same way, the reason that you build a specific way is not because God wants to tell you you're a bad builder, it's because he wants to reward you for the way that you build. And sometimes I'm talking about this and I can see people in the crowd are like, but I don't want a reward, I just want to love Jesus. I hear you, but Jesus thinks you need a reward. If Jesus thinks you need a reward to be motivated, you need a reward to be motivated. And what happens here is he says that you receive this reward. But the ones whose work is burned, he says, you'll be saved by only, by, by, only by fire. So God is not saying that if you only participate and don't give your best, oh, like you're going to go to hell. That's not it. That's why the foundation has laid is Jesus. But he is saying that the way you participate will matter forever. In eternity one day, the way that you have chosen to live your life on this earth will matter forever. Now I have a friend, and I'm going to end with this. He had a wild dream, right? So praise God, I was at the camp, Christian camp, so I know I can share this dream, otherwise I've been careful to share. But I want to, it's a little bit like prophetic really, but it's powerful. One of my friends had a dream. And in this dream, he stood in this room, and it was like the room was all white, and he woke up in the dream standing with his hands like this, and in front of him stood an angel. And the angel came to him with this box, and this box was like glowing, it was like radiating with presence. And he said like as he walked closer with this box, he said like something in him knew whatever was in that box was so holy. And this angel opened up the box and the light shone out of it and the angel put it down and he picked it up and there was a crown. And all these different like stones and things were on this crown and there was things written on it. Things that's been done has been written on this crown. And he looks at it and he goes, he thinks to himself in this dream, this is such a holy object. This object was bought for by an entire life. This is, and, he, and, and, he, and all of a sudden the angel walks and he pushes and he wants to put the crown on him. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can't put that on me. There's no way you can put that. It's way too holy. That cost an entire life. You can't put it on me. And the angel kind of looks and he's like, no, you need to take this. This is yours. And he puts it on his head and he, and he feels Almost the unworthiness of carrying something that costs a life. A whole life is what this thing costs. 
And the angel in the moment is finished and all of a sudden there's like a crack in the wall in front of him. And as far as you can look up, it's a massive door. And it opens up. And when he looks up, he sees Jesus on the throne. And the first thing you think about is he took the crown and he threw it at his feet. And when he threw it at his feet, he frantically looked around. And he started weeping because he had nothing else to throw at him. And what Paul is talking about, about the way that you run and the way that you build. And at the end of the age, there will be a prize for how you've lived is my dream is that one day I get into eternity and I have a freaking truck load full of things to throw at his feet. And I will keep throwing and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you took a drug addict and you loved him. Thank you, Jesus. The goal of the way that we run is not to say that, look at me, I'm flexing, I'm a great Christian. Is to go like my heart chose to say yes to love in such a way that at the end of the age, I can put things in front of him to say, I'm so thankful. Thank you for what you gave me. And tonight here, I want to tell you that God is inviting us to love him. To not just love him with our words. Not just to love him in worship. Not just to love him when it's easy and comfortable. But that by His grace, He's inviting us to love Him in such a way that at the end of the age, I can say, God, thank you for all you gave me. Here is a life lived in response to a life given for me. As I end us off tonight, I have a, I have a few questions I want to put in front of you. The first thing I want to ask you, it's a simple question, is... That capital D day will come. Simple. Okay. And the most important day that is yet to come. You have an appointment with one man. And you will stand before that one man. And the only thing will matter is what he thinks of your life. Nothing else will matter. Not who's sitting next to you. Not your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Not your friends here at the end of the age. You stand before his throne and you look into those burning eyes. The only thing in your life that will matter is what he calls your life. And I cannot be here tonight if I do not give a clear call to if you've not chosen to make Jesus Lord, you should do it. And here's, here's the reality, right? I was snorting cocaine living a mega double life, and I've led people to Jesus in that. Just because you know how to, to master Christian subcultures doesn't mean you've been mastered by the Christ of that culture. The human nature is to go into an environment and find out how do I survive. But it does not mean that you're a Christian. It just means you know how to speak the language, you know the lingo, you know which shoes you have to wear to be cool. Like you know how to live in this culture. But it does not mean that you've made Jesus Lord. The simplicity of the call of the gospel is you shall be saved if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Not that he is Savior. Right? He's the Savior of the world. But he saves those who call him Lord. What betekent Lord? What betekent koning, yalla? Dit beteken as jy ja sê, dan nie komma nie, dat is nie if nie, dat is nie bad nie, dat is nie, ek gaan nog een keer x, y, z doen nie. Soos nie nie nie, as jy sê ja, voluit vir Jesus, 
Ons het Jesus vat my hele leven en kies jy wat gebeur met hom. Ek kan nie meer kies nie. En ek voel vanavond dat ek wil jylle geleentheid gee as jy hier sit vanavond en jy weet soos jy weet man, ek moet vir die treadmill vir haar probeer ek kort Jesus' heerskapie I need his lordship in my life. I'm tired of trying. I want to give you opportunity now. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If I say amen, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. 10 seconds is done, we're going to move to the next point. Is that good? But I want to encourage you tonight, if you need to make this choice, this choice is not one that's an argument or a debate. It's a one that lays down a life. It's a one where you go like, God, this is yours. Take it. It's not mine anymore. So Jesus, I thank you this evening that we get to be here. Thank you for the beautiful thing you're building here in Pretoria. Thank you for this beautiful people you're building. Thank you for a church that you're building for your name, a people for your name. God, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that needs to respond to this call, I ask that you would break off the veil of religion. You'll break off the veil of keep on trying. God, I ask that you would Come, Holy Spirit, you are the one that convicts of sin, righteousness, and the judgment that is to come. Would you come here and convict hearts? In Jesus' name, if you need to make that choice, I want to ask you, please just stand up. Nobody's going to close their eyes. Please open your eyes. We don't make this choice in shame. Ten, nine, eight, thank you. Seven, six, thank you. Keep standing. Five, four. Three, two, one. Awesome. No, st- keep standing. I'm going I'm, I'm to keep standing. I want to say something here. I've seen worship leaders get off stage and make a choice. You know why? Because in their hearts, they've known how to do the right thing, but they have still always been the king. Well done. Romans 10 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a promise there. So I, I want to pray for you guys, right? And I want to tell you today that this is the best decision you could have ever made. And the reason I have nobody close their eyes, the reason I have you stay standing is because the idolatry of our cultures, I will look like I fit. And they go like, I don't care. I pick Jesus. In Muslim cultures, if somebody gets saved, you know they're saved that they can forgive. Because they will give their lives. They don't care. That's in their culture. But if they forgive, you know they're really saved. And our culture is if you can stand up in the midst of, midst of an environment and go like, I have missed the mark. That's the sign. So I want to pray when I say amen. Do you guys have like small group leaders who can pray with them or something? So I just want to pray. Lord, I thank you for every person that stood up right now. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just come and transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your marvelous light. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that in this moment right now, God, that you would break off, Lord, any addictions, Lord, any identity accusations, Lord, that you'd break off in Jesus' name right now in this moment any lies of the enemy, Lord, that's spoken over them, any places where they have lost hope, where they have lost faith that you can change things. And God, I ask that Romans 1 verse 16 that the dunamis power of the gospel will break into their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we just give them a hand?
I, I want to encourage you, come to Ruan and team afterwards. Please don't just walk out. You said yes for a reason. Okay, like there's a reason you said yes. And if you've never told people the reason, it might be you have a, a secret addiction. It might be that you've just never known if you're saved. Do not walk out of this room without speaking to somebody. We're saved as individuals, but we are being saved as a people. And it's when we come and say, hey, like here's, here's it all. Just help me. That's when true transformation starts happening. Is that good? Okay, last thing I want to say, the last kind of ultra call is this. Paul here says that he speaks about how life is lived. And then he says that if you live a life just aimlessly, you will get in, but your life will be wasted. And I once heard a man I, I really look up to tell the story of his young man. And he, and he had this moment where God says, you're saved, but your life will be wasted. And if you're here tonight and you know that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you into obedience, not Gabriel's preaching, not like guilt tripping by somebody else. Like if you know the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has prompted you to break up with relationships, to say yes to relationships, right? To serve where you are more, to give whatever it might be. If it is to just like give your Xbox to your brother, whatever that thing might be. Your step of obedience. If you know and you've hardened your heart. Tonight I want to give you an opportunity to repent to the Lord. It is sin and it's rebellion. And I get, I can see this is a feel good preacher. But this is not real. And I do not know. So I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity tonight. If you're in this room and you know there has been a place where you've hardened your heart. For this life fully lived well. I want to ask you to stand up as well. I'm not even going to pray. You know already if it is because I've been preaching. So you've been hearing the Holy Spirit speaking to you in this. So if that you, can I ask you to stand? We just want to pray. Thank you. We're just going to pray quickly. Just hallelujah. Great. Five, four, three, two. Awesome. So the reason I do a countdown is simple. I just hate that awkward waiting, right? So it just helps it, okay? So here's, I want to pray for you. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? And I just want you to say, Jesus, I'll do whatever you ask. Right? Just tell them, write down your own words. He's like, okay, I'll do. And I want to pray for us. And after I say amen, I want you to turn to a friend next to you, men with men, woman with woman, and I want to tell them what is your obedience. And then you can text them in three or four days and hear if they've done it. So Lord, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. That we can joyfully repent. It's so fun to repent. We can turn to you. That you're a good father with open arms. I say, yes. Lord, I ask tonight that you would give grace to obey. That these people standing up, that you would give them great grace. And Lord, that we would see great fruit coming from small choices. That small hinges turn big doors. Simple steps of obedience changes history. Give them grace to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you.